Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 111 of Left of Skeptic. My name is Brittany Land. And I am Kayla Moria. And we are a paranormal podcast. Yes, we are. Kayla, how are you? I'm good. Good. Yeah. Good. I'd be better if there wasn't so much freaking snow outside. Oh, my God. I am so sick of shoveling. It is officially too much snow. Yeah. And guess what? You're getting more. And guess what? Your fiancé is willing it into existence. What a dick. I know. I called him out on it on the internet, and he was like, it doesn't stop snowing here till May. False. False. If you stop willing it into existence, Steve Libby. I know. Then it won't do it anymore. Think spring. Think Think spring. Spring. Everybody out there, let's will this. Think spring. Mm, Think spring. Even though we're supposed to get more snow, what, tomorrow or the next day? Yeah. Gross. I think it starts again tomorrow. Gross. I know. (sighs) Brittany, Uh, how are you? Well, uh, first of all, did you see what the snow did to our poor mall? Yeah. (laughs) But it's okay. I don't think Hot Topic is, I don't think Hot Topic was harmed. No, but it was really close. It was really close. So um, for those who are not Duluthians, the center of our mall just went. (laughs) It just collapsed. Um, We got a crap ton of snow. Uh Uh-huh. I do not remember what the official count is. This might be one of the most snow-heavy winters in like a very long time. It is. I think it's in like the top five of heavy snow winter in Minnesota ever. And so- and there's the, more coming. There's more coming. But the extra hard part was this last snowfall, we got so much snow. Yeah. And then it got really warm. And so it basically just became water weight. Yep. On the top of our mall. Yep. Which has a flat surface. Which has a flat surface. And so right over the caribou coffee stand, like right next to the express. Yep. Is just, it went like literally... It's like a scene from a apocalypse. It's it's right out of a uh, Last of Us, just with snow instead of plants. It really is. Yeah, I haven't seen that yet, but yeah. Um, <laughs> Kara from Prophecy Girls tagged me in a in a news story. She's like, "Your mall collapsing is on our news," yeah. <laughs> and I was like, "Well, you're Thunder Bay. That's pretty close. A Small lot of your, news day. <laughs> yeah, a lot of your folks come down here for clothing sometimes. Oh, yeah, they're just informing them, like, hey, don't head down there. It's pointless. The mall is closed right now. And I have a friend who has a parent who works at uh, the DMV, mm-hmm. and they got called and said not to come in because apparently on top of there being a ceiling collapse, there was also a gas leak. Yes, there was. <laughs> so that's on local Duluth news. Mm-hmm. We should just start a no- local Duluth news channel. No. Um, That'd get really slow really fast. It would really get slow really fast. Mm-hmm. I've seen what, what the real news posts on slow days. I would like to I would like to start a <laughs> a podcast where we just cover Duluth news comment drama from different social media sites okay so that could be funny (laughs) but it could also be infuriating with all of the um right-wing supporters who say really horrible things about like drag queens will turn your kids gay yeah no we would i just want to cover the funny parts like all the people who blame our mayor for the potholes oh my god which has been every mayor i've ever existed they're all like they're all blamed for the potholes yeah our current mayor is female 
And uh, I really wanted to tweet something because they blame her for things that are literally out of her control, like more so than other mayors. And I really wanted to tweet the other day. Um, does your mayor get blamed for literally everything, even things that aren't encompassed in their job? Or are they male? <laughs> and then I didn't. Uh, one of them I just responded to with posting that video from the PBS playlist or WDSE playlist. Uh, it's like a local channel's playlist thing, and it was Don Ness singing Potholes. You know what? That was my video. <laughs> if it was if it was taken from really close near the stage, yeah, that was my video. They nice. asked me if they could use it. Very nice. Yeah, yeah, Potholes. Potholes, Potholes. <laughs> um, <clears throat> otherwise, I, I am doing well. Good. Uh, my work didn't collapse in on itself, so that's good. Neither did mine. Yeah. I know. No gas leaks are nothing, unfortunately. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I got to say, though, I was – so a lot of people are mm, – I don't know how to say this without thinking – without it sounding like I'm being uh, amazing. <laughs> a lot A lot of people – I'm just so amazing. Um, throughout my four years of working for the radio station – a lot of people have been really impressed that I work for that particular company. Yeah. It's a very well-respected company. But I have to say, I am impressed and I feel so much better about, you know, stepping down from my role because of how many people are like, I am so proud of you for taking the concept of work-life balance and knowing that you didn't want to do it. It wasn't good for your mental health. And you just, you're like... Mm, no, I'm proud of you. I've had so many people who normally are like, oh my God, I'm so, I love that you work for this company. And then they're like, no, that's awesome. I'm glad that you're taking your mental health into account and you decided to do work-life balance. It's because people love and support you. I know. Everyone's so nice and everyone said such nice things about me being affianced. 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 Intended. Affianced. One day you two are going to be married. I don't know what that's from. It's Zazu from The Lion King. Oh, wow. I haven't seen that in a really long time. What with you two being betrothed and all? It's it's him explaining to uh, Simba and Nala. Nala. I almost called her Nola, and I was like, no, that's a local DJ. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Hey, I have a story for you. Awesome. So, I found this haunted item Ooh. in the wild. And by in the wild, I mean I was doing standard Googles and I came across an article from Reverb, like involving Reverb. So, Isn't that a music magazine? Yeah. So for those of you who don't know what Reverb is, it is an online marketplace for buying and selling new, used, and vintage musical gear. Awesome. You can shop from a wide variety of electric, acoustic, and bass guitars, DJ equipment, and more. New, used, and vintage. It's actually pretty cool. Lots of people use reverb. I, my friends can go on about reverb for fucking days. Um, this reminds me, you and I have to have a conversation about an event that Melissa suggested. Okay. No, I'm not going to tell you all what it is yet. We haven't planned it. <laughs> so reverb, knowing what it is, I was intrigued. Mm -hmm. And years ago, a user from American Vintage and Boutique Music Emporium in New Lebanon, Ohio, listed a guitar. And I can't make it on my own. 
because my heart is in Ohio. Uh, I just sang that recently, so I didn't need to sing it again, but I'm not going to mention Ohio without saying it. Without saying it, at least. I mean, that's your catch line for Ohio. (laughs) So when you first see the post, you might be wondering how anyone could be asking so much for such a basic-looking guitar. All of these images are, like, those first three are of this guitar, right? Classic, standard, love it. Yep, it is just a basic wooden acoustic that definitely looks a little worse for wear mm-hmm, and yet mm-hmm. the seller wanted $666 for it. <laughs> okay, that seems uh, a little ambitious. Not even including the $66.60 in tax. So $666, $66.60 in tax, the devil's price. Okay, so the pricing makes a little bit more sense when you read the guitar's description. Fair warning, this dude likes big words and apparently has a flair for the dramatic. I mean, how else are you going to sell an old guitar for $666.66? So, or however much it was. (laughs) So, this description goes. This singular guitar came into my possession quite by accident and has spooked me enough that I want to get rid of it. Although I am quite confident this ghoulish guitar would be fine for someone more in tune to the tenebrous forces of the malevolent netherworld, I myself have little knowledge of such things and prefer not to meddle with the morbid mysteries of the macabre. I love this person already so much. And I like that they said in tune because it's an instrument. Here's what I know and what I've been told. A kid that lived on my street when I was growing up was rumored to be into devil worship, seances, Aleister Crowley, black magic, and other dark endeavors of the spirit world. Oddly, despite the youth's somewhat dweebish demeanor and Philistine (laughs) penchant for putrid proclivities, he was quite popular. Boys in the neighborhood wanted to be him, and the girls foolishly thought they could change him. What? Even though he's such a dweeb? (laughs) But a dangerous dweeb. Oh, oh, okay. I later learned that this neophyte necromancer was born in June of 66 and died tragically on Halloween, October 31st, 1979, when he was just 13 years old. Oh, shit. That's a lot of really bad numbers. His death has never been solved, but the calamitous kid was found lying in his bed with this guitar draped across him, apparently electrocuted, even though it is an acoustic guitar. Additionally, when the damnable course... (laughs) I thought you said you ate ate dinner. (laughs) I did. That was loud. That was so loud. Additionally, when the damnable corpse of this soulless stooge of Satan was eventually discovered, a 45 record of blue oyster cults don't Fear the Reaper was playing repeatedly on the GE Wildcat record changer. A Swanson TV dinner, turkey with all the fixings, remained uneaten, and the air was thick with the acrid smell of sulfur emanating from the somewhat perverse potion the young Hellion had been mixing with his Lil Gilbert chemistry set. Oh my god. Okay, I love all of that. It's all so spooky. And then Little Gilbert chemistry set. <laughs> The lad's Farrah Fawcett swimsuit poster mockingly stared down upon the dead body as if to say, See you in hell, buster. Somewhere at that very moment, as I was later informed by my late-night TV psychic friend, 
A hellhound hailing from the bowels of Hades howled horrendously into the unhallowed hellish night. Well, shit. <laughs> Years later, I ran into the defunct boy's mother, herself a propagating practitioner of the pagan arts. When I informed her that I was a professional guitarist, she offered me her devilish Daisy Pushin' Sons guitar. Daisy Pushin' Sons? That's, that's dark. I think the Daisy Pushin' Sons guitar might be the darkest thing you've read so far. Since I've owned this guitar, I've heard the strings discordantly ring out, despite no one being near the guitar. Further, on three occasions, I put the guitar in my bedroom closet only to find the guitar on my bed when I returned home, and I live alone. The final straw occurred when I saw the guitar levitate out of the trash can I had somberly placed it in. So for those of you brave enough to tamper with the spirit world, I offer you this unique guitar, which appears to date from the late 1950s through the 1960s. Satan has apparently stricken the brand name decal from the headstock of the guitar, but my research leads me to believe it's a K-Western special. My expertise lies more in vintage and custom shop Gibson and Fender instruments, particularly the 1959 Les Paul and pre-CBS Telecaster and Stratocaster models. Fucking guitar people. I know. I know. And to the buyer of this ghastly guitar, congratulations, though please use extreme caution when conjuring the phantasmic spirits that seem to be channeled through this inquitous instrument. To hear this satanic six-string, please check out the attached YouTube link. Admittedly, she doesn't sound particularly ominous on this recording. However, I attribute this to the fact that I was wearing seven crucifixes when I recorded her. As added protection, I have also just finished watching George Burns' poignant performance portraying our divine maker in the screwball religious movie masterpiece, Oh God, for spiritual sustenance and courage during the time of the fraught fretwork. Had I not taken these precautions, I'm convinced I would have bit the bullet by the bewitched buried boy. Jesus. End of the description. This was all in the description on Reverb. I love that. Like I said, Flair for the Dramatic really likes words. Really likes totally words. Totally just was like using a thesaurus. Well, uh. And I love how many like music references that they threw in there. <laughs> I just love like every like music related devil song thing they're like yeah and blue oyster cults don't don't fear the, the reaper, reaper was playing <laughs> so i have the recording of the guitar okay it has to pull up on the actual reverb because i went to the guy's youtube channel mm -hmm. and he must like be active and still regularly upload and actually maintain his youtube channels Unlike a lot of people who just kind of like let everything, because he's been a musician for a very long time apparently, but he like the oldest thing on there was three years old. I think he actually goes and actively like so you couldn't it. find it. Yep, exactly. Oh, geez. Scraping nickels, saving dimes, all to take that baby of mine out dancing and leave all our cares behind. Just a little clip. Okay. Uh, you know, that's, he's right. That wasn't super scary. What I literally put was an uh, a funny and odd song choice to play on a haunted guitar. It was, yes, yes. Although I will say it had kind of the same vibe. You know that X-Files episode? I can't remember what it's called. They're talking about the mainframe and there's this like spooky song that 
they play throughout it and it's um oh twilight time oh yep 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 yep. where it sounds like really it's like the words are nice like heavenly shades of night are falling yep it's twilight time and it's so pretty but it's also so freaking creepy yeah, I could see that. That could give it's, creepy. It's vibes. got a little bit of a twilight time kind of vibe, but that's the sound of the creepy guitar, you know. Yeah, it doesn't particularly sound creepy. AV Club got wind of the listing and reached out to the seller, who it turns out is a professional musician named Eddie Marabacher, or Mara Baker. I'm not sure. We're gonna say Marabacher because that's what I keep saying. Okay. (laughs) Marabacher told AV Club that his listing had racked up just shy of 12,000 views as of the article posting date of March 10th, 2021. Oh, this is recent. Mm -hmm. And that he'd received 48 offers and was even contacted by the TV series Ghost Hunters, who wanted to devote a full episode to my dastardly tale. At the time of that article, he declined everything that had come away so far because he wanted to see the guitar go to the right person, which honestly, kudos. Yeah, yeah. I don't think a lot of people take that stuff into account when selling haunted objects. (laughs) I'm looking at you haunted doll eBay people. (laughs) So many people buy haunted dolls and then they're like, oh, this will be fun. It's not really haunted, but maybe it's haunted, and then they just get terrorized. (laughs) So, Mary Bacher, Mary Baker, said most people just message to say that they found his listing funny, or that, like, they might say, like, make offers because he thinks they want to use the guitar in an occult ritual. Like, he was, was, like, hinting at that, that that's what he suspected, but he had no proof of that. Right, but gross. Some people messaged him to express how angry they are that he'd allow this dangerous guitar to go out into the world. I'm sorry, what is he supposed to do? <laughs> just deal with it for the rest of his life? He just thought, hey, here's a here's a cheap old guitar from my funky little neighbor guy who died. Here's his circumstances. Here's something a little telling. Um, when AV Club asked whether he thinks the guitar is actually haunted, Marabacher wrote, It isn't so much that I believe or not. It's rather what the reader believes that's important. Mm. At the time of the AV Club article, it was said that he's pretty attached to it until the right fire comes along because he has gotten a certain magical mojo out of her when writing or performing with it. Right. But he did not, like, he did not confirm that it's actually haunted. Also, he said that he doesn't want to play it. Like, that's, and that's where it's like, okay. Oh, yay. So as to the uh, instruments actual make, Nobody has said anything other than that K-Western special. But like he said, the stuff was off the headstock, so he couldn't see that for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, despite the fact that he said he was looking for the right person, I'm guessing he was looking for the right amount of money. Right. Because guess who got his demon-loving little hands on it? Oh, my God. It was a Zach Baggins. Douche Baggins. <sighs> According to a Newsweek article... A terrifying artifact is currently in transit to Zach Baggins' haunted museum. The Ghost Adventures host told Newsweek on Friday, Baggins is now the owner of a supposedly haunted acoustic guitar that could have been involved in the death of a teenager in 1979. Baggins wrote into Newsweek, 
I don't play the guitar very well, but you can rest assured that I will most definitely play this instrument to see if anything happens to me. Yeah, doesn't he play like metal music or is it electronica? Well, he it's an acoustic guitar, so I guess. No, Zach Baggins oh, is he- a musician. I'll find one of his songs and I'll put it on our Facebook Ins- because it's silly insert massive eye roll here i know exactly i know um it's so intense that i think that they could actually hear the eye roll (laughs) so the article says he purchased it for the 666 dollars but did you did you really baggins Mm, i'm guessing it was a lot more than that or did you throw around your demon loving money everything's a demon everything's a demon Oh, I just can't wait for all this tea to finally be dropped and just stop being teased. I want to know all this fucking... I thought, I thought, what's his fate? Nick's article came out. Oh, did it? I didn't read it yet. I have not read it yet either, but oh, I no. think it came out. As soon as I see it, and if it throws the right amount of slander, I'm posting it on our page. Oh, heck yeah. <laughs> so either way, it's the first haunted musical instrument Baggins had added to his museum collection, because, you know, it's like Pokemon. He's got to catch them all. Posting to social media, Baggins wrote, The Satanic Six String, which is what he's named it, Mm. is now on display daily as part of the Haunted Museum's RIP experience. We invite you to observe the instrument and report any activity during your RIP experience and or late night flashlight tour. So, in my searching, I found nobody else posting any evidence of anything with that guitar. Oh, it's literally just the guy who wanted a lot of money for it. And then, and then Zach Baggins, Baggins. he's like, oh, it's so good. But in my searching, I did find an article about this specific guitar from the Skeptical Inquirer, whose tagline is, the magazine for science and reason. I talk about them in my... Really? Nice. This is weird. I'd never even heard of them before. Neither had I. And normally I'm like, okay, like, I'll include some stuff, but not go too deep, because what fun is that? Right. But this dude, Kenny Biddle is so critical of Zach Baggins. I just had to re- like read you some of my favorite bits from the piece. I mean, you love Baggins slander. Yes. And also, you know me, if I can find stuff out that goes against, like, even if it goes against the chance that something might be haunted, even if it's not as fun, I do like to include it. Yeah, also, um, okay, so the Prophecy Girls have Xander slander. Uh, what is the Baggins version? Bag on Baggins. Bag on Baggins. Okay, you love to bag on Baggins. I do. So, quote, This haunted guitar was covered by mainstream media after it was recently purchased by my old buddy Zach Baggins for his not-so-haunted museum. I found this story interesting, so I decided to take a closer look. The Newsweek article repeated sections from the listing's description as well as some comments from the new owner, plagiarist Zach Baggins. Oh, Baggins is quoted as saying, I was really blown away by the story behind the guitar and how the seller got the guitar directly from the boy's mother. Because of that provenance, this is why I jumped so fast so I could buy the guitar. This is where he gets, like, immediately called out. Okay. Because when Baggins uses the word provenance, he's saying that it's verified. That's, like, what that means. So... He's telling us that because the guitar came from an unknown mother of her unknown son and that was now being sold by a musician, this establishes good provenance. And provenance is the chronology of ownership of an item. So it's like the way you track it. It's kind of like a dog's pedigree. Okay. If this was true 
provenance. Yeah. Provenance. You would just be able to find out the hometown of this musician and then Google whether or not a 13-year-old boy died in 1979. So, yes. So, like, ownership of an item, like a work of art, original manuscript, whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's what people use to help authenticate an item, especially museums. That makes sense. Records, receipts, photos and videos of the item at a certain location. Yep. Um, basically anything that can prove a person's possession of an item at given times. Yeah. Historians and researchers are required to do this when authenticating items to be reasonably sure that an item is what it's claimed to be. Right. One person telling a story about how he claims this mother of this son who he claims died is not authentication. It really isn't. No, it's not. So he, uh, uh, Biddle, mm-hmm. Kenny Biddle, said... I thought perhaps Baggins, surely wanting to carefully screen out any inauthentic items from his haunted museum displays, had gained additional information from the seller, particularly the identity of the mother and son. Right. Even if he doesn't share it publicly, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But as long as he can prove it. So I tracked down Eddie Merenbacher. After introducing myself and explaining that I was looking deeper into the story, I asked for the name of the boy. Merenbacher responded, mentioning he was a very big fan of the Skeptical Inquirer and had been reading it for years. Although he didn't answer my question about the boy, he directed me to an article about the guitar listing posted on the AV website, which was the one I referenced earlier. Great. Yeah, I've already read that. Biddle says, I read through the article and noticed towards the end the author asked whether Maribacher thinks the guitar is actually haunted and his response is quite revealing. Right. He says it isn't so much what I believe or not, but rather what the reader believes that's important. So, the skeptical Inquirer author thought the same thing I did. Right. He thinks it's like a subtle hint that the story might not be real, which was kind of where I... It's just a fun story. By putting emphasis on what the reader believes, he was able to avoid answering the question. Um, That's pretty common practice when you're trying to not give too much information and maybe get more money for an item than you probably should. Although, I definitely would have worded it different. Because that basically is saying, no, it's not. <laughs> so uh, he followed up with Mary Baker, Mary Bacher, asking again for the name of the mystery woman and her son. I also asked if he could provide any links to newspaper articles that covered this death of a teenager. Right. Unsolved death of a teenager. Which if a boy... Was electrocuted by playing an acoustic guitar. You know the newspaper would have covered it. Especially That's like, suspicious. This is in 79. Wasn't like the at the height of satanic panic time? Yeah. So that like, they would have been early all 80s, over They would have been all over that. And, he's, and he said, because it was on Halloween night, I have no doubt this popular story would have been traced. He had already been searching. Like The author had already been searching for the article himself and hadn't come up with anything. Oh, my God. As they traded emails, Marabacher stated that he had no way to contact the mother who gifted him the guitar. That's fine. He did not wish to reveal the identity of the mother because he did not want to release unwanted notoriety and destroy her privacy, which I do like that approach if this was a real person. But I don't think it is. (laughs) He stated, out of respect for the buyer's interest, I prefer not to address the facts presented, quote, facts Presented in the guitar's listing. I will say, however, that I am a pretty creative guy. 
That's what Mary Baker told Biddle. I, I, <laughs> he is a pretty creative. I will get it. I love the original story, but I really don't like how he's handling this because he's not even, he's not even giving you the moment to, to he already, wonder. He already got the he's money. saying it. He already got the money from Baggins. At this point, what does he care? Oh my, it's just annoying. <laughs> so, Biddle says, Merbacher had placed quotes around the word facts, which I believe was another hint that the guitar's backstory was probably not any actual facts. Right. Coupled with the description of himself being a pretty creative guy, I became more confident that the backstory was likely an entertaining work of fiction. However, because he had not come straight out and admitted to creating guitar's, guitar's backstory, there was still chance it was based in some truth. I can, there, though. <laughs> I continued my correspondence with Marabacher, gaining the sense that he was a nice guy and had likely written the description for the guitar as a joke. The listing had been up for three years before it was sold. <laughs> if you guys can't hear it in the microphone, Scala's stomach is just going crazy. <laughs> and Marabacher's... Marabacher states that he had turned down over 50 other offers to purchase the guitar. And it wasn't until March of 2021 when it was suddenly thrust into the spotlight by several articles that he sold it. It seemed to be the turning point for extraordinary backstory getting away from him because once Baggins got involved and legitimized, if that's the right word, the satanic six-string story, it became cemented in paranormal lore. Did it, though? I'm just saying, I don't, I, I, I'm not gonna, uh, okay, continue, sorry, continue, continue. So, last bit from him was, or was it, as a last, uh-huh. as a last ditch effort to determine the validity of the story, I appealed to Marabacher's love of the skeptical inquirer, mm-hmm. and I mentioned how Baggins believed he has sufficient provenance, and how he would be able to, like, pass on what he believed was severe misinformation. Right. This would undoubtedly influence thousands of people who would hear the backstory from the guide inside and have the impression that it was well-researched and confirmed by the well-known TV personality. Skeptical Inquirer struggles to continually combat such misinformation, and I was appealing that I needed his help. Right. If he loves a Skeptical Inquirer, he should give the actual factual uh, information. (laughs) Merabaker understood what I was trying to do and so responded once more with some important information. Okay. As for the substantial provenance Zach claims to have, let me be clear by enumerating several points. One, I never offered any proof about the validity of the story. Two, he never requested any proof. What? Three, had he asked for proof, I would not have been able to offer a single shred of evidence pertaining to the alleged haunted nature of the guitar, for reasons I am sure are obvious. I'm just trying to make some sort of noise so it's not just dead air, but... (laughs) So, uh, there's an important lesson here uh, for paranormal enthusiasts. And or fans of douchebaggins. Um, he didn't do any basic research. He, he didn't even found, want it. He, he didn't, didn't want even it. ask. He didn't ask. Oh my god. He he wasn't offered and he didn't ask. And he just put this stuff in his museum claiming it's haunted based off of a pretty cl- I mean, like I read you this thing. Yeah. It's I read pretty it. clearly fabricated. Yeah. 
The guitar was sold for $666. Allegedly. $66.60 in tax. The guy, the, this teenager that was born on June 6th of 1966. Uh, Died on his 13th birthday, birthday. Well, on Halloween. Yeah. Like all these other, like it's pretty obviously made up, but Baggins didn't care. He's like, I'm going to put that in my museum. That is really upsetting because, it, I mean, there are things that have been in the haunted community prior to Zach Baggins' museum that he now owns. And it's really upsetting that like, ugh, ah, ah. The final quote I had from uh, Biddle's article was, this is a major failure from someone who promotes themselves as one of the world's leading researchers on ghost and demonology in his Demon House film. Oh, yeah, I have never seen it, but that does sound <laughs> like something he would say. This Kenny Biddle guy seems all right. I wouldn't even I care like if you wanted to argue with me about everything haunted. I don't I don't even care. Yeah. I'd be like, <laughs> no, you're right. Zach Baggins sucks. <laughs> Let's bag on Baggins together. So I was thinking about how many haunted items we've learned from, both okay. on and off the podcast. And I was thinking, like, there has to be more haunted musical instruments out there. Yes. So I went looking for some more. And there are not that many. That seems surprising. Yeah, it's really quite sad. Well, Musicians usually put so much of themselves in their in their music, so I'm surprised that the instruments right? aren't more haunted. Right? I did end up with a story about this one specific instrument. Okay. An instrument I hold near and dear to my heart. Is it a tuba? Because I found an article from The Independent from 2004 titled, The Eerie Case of the Haunted Tuba. Of course you did. So this article was published uh, December 24th of 2004 and written by Miles Kington. Okay. Tell me about that haunted tuba girl. Christmas time. Time for sitting around the fire and telling each other ghost stories. Uh-huh. And just in case nobody seems to want to tell you this one Christmas, here is one especially for you. It's not Christmas. It's not even spring yet. But you know what? Just roll with it. I mean, here. it's closer to Christmas than not. <laughs> yeah. Have any of you ever seen a ghost? The speaker was a middle-aged man, sitting in the window seat of a train I was on the other day. There were four of us at the table, me, the man who had just spoken, and a married couple. The husband shook his head. So did the wife. I said, nor have I, but I assume you have, otherwise you would not have asked that question. And I suspect that you are now going to tell us about it. <laughs> well, aren't you a pompous fellow and all, said the first speaker. He relaxed a little and smiled. The fact of the matter is that I have seen a ghost, and I may not have seen a ghost, but I do know that last year I met a man who swore that his musical instrument was haunted. Okay. I exchanged glances with the married couple. We would be coming to a stop soon, and with any luck we would all get out, walk along the platform and get into another carriage, and then we could be rid of this madman. Mm -hmm. This is your train manager, Michael, speaking, said the announcement suddenly. Due to an electrical fault, we shall not be stopping at Didcot. I hope this does not inconvenience you, especially if you live at Didcot. Thank you. Oh, that would be a super big inconvenience, though. So that was that. We sat back, resigned to listen to the yarn about to come. I had gone and spent a weekend at a brass band summer camp in Yorkshire. There are about 30 of us, all very keen. Does any of you know anything about brass band musicians? Yes, I said. You are all wonderful musicians, but you display no taste in all the rubbish you play. 
fucking true. Sad, but true. <laughs> he looked at me narrowly. Cruel, but fair, he said. Yeah. <laughs> well, there was a tuba player I made friends with from North Cumberland. And one night, in his cups, because all brass players drink a lot, he blurted out to me that he thought his tuba was haunted. I hear voices coming from it, Charlie, he said. It is haunted by the ghost of a man and a woman who hate each other, and I am going to kill you. Are you? I said, startled. No, that's what the man says to the woman in my tuba. The man wants to kill the woman. Okay, that's funny because when you say as a man and a woman in a tuba and they're fighting, all I could think of was Charlie Brown is like... (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad that they can say actual words and not just... (laughs) Now, I know that places are sometimes haunted by the spirits of people who are very happy or sad there, but how in God's name can a tuba be haunted? The man in the train looked at us inquiringly. Well, said the married man, let's think. Maybe it previously belonged to a tuba player who was insanely jealous of his wife and beat her to death with the tuba. Jesus. That That way her spirit might have possessed it. Okay. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. (laughs) No, here we go. The man said promptly, no proper brass player would risk injury to his instrument that way. That's fair. (laughs) Okay, that's fair. That's fair. As I was reading this story the first time through, I was like, nobody is going to beat somebody with a tuba because that's going to hurt your tuba. And then you got to that part. And and I was like, like, oh, (laughs) God damn it. Just then the train drew to a halt. I looked out. It was Didcot Parkway. How extraordinary. We had just been told we would not stop there. An official was passing down the carriage, so I hailed him and asked how it was that the train manager called Michael had told us that we would not be stopping at Didcot. He looked at me oddly. There is no train manager called Michael, he said. I'm the train manager, and my name is Simon. There was a train manager called Michael, but he died last week in an accident. At Didcot, as it happens. So we couldn't have made that announcement. Oh, but the people, like, I'm sitting with would vouch that he did, I said, gesturing around me. It was an empty gesture. I was all alone at the table. I froze. Had I imagined everything? The end. Okay, so that last article, obviously not real, just a tuba-related ghost it. story. Yeah. But it was about a real haunted, it, it was about a haunted tuba. So I, I, I mean, was, obviously you're going to tell it. I was not going to not tell it. And maybe one day I'll come across a tale of another, like, haunted instrument. And by another, I mean an actually real haunted instrument because I just presented you with two totally nerd-ass stories this evening. But they were so good. <laughs> I loved that. Okay. Also, we need to just have like a like a slumber party and tell each other scary stories um, that aren't necessarily researched. Maybe we could write our own stories. Ooh, I'm not that creative, but I could try. Okay. Uh, can we don't have all, to record it. Can they all involve tubas? I would only, I would expect nothing less of you, Kayla. Sweet. Just all, and it's all about people being beaten with a with a tuba, and then you're like, just kidding. No one would ever do that to their tuba. <laughs> so, no rating necessary for mine. Uh, yeah. Normal ass shit. Yeah. Um, tons of bagging on baggins. So, I mean, that's your favorite. It is my favorite. It's your favorite. <sighs> <laughs> what? <laughs> 
Oh, man. Before we get into your story, I understand we have uh, one more thing we have to talk about. But I don't have a beer to crack. Oh, um, neither do I. Because we're both drinking wine. Yeah, so how about we uh, (laughs) crack into it? That was my best. What? Wait, what was (laughs) The Great Lakes Aquarium's annual fundraiser event is back, baby, and this year it's getting a totally tubular makeover. Like, experience the aquarium in a whole new light with a rad evening of local food and drink among the animals during this year's Aqua Fair Electric 80s edition. That was my best best Valley Girl impression. That was very Valley Girl. I think that's 90s, not 80s, but... No, it's totally 80s. Totally. It's totally 80s. There's that movie with Nick Cage in it. Called Valley Girl. Okay, okay, okay. You know, if Nick, Nick Cage did it, then obviously. <laughs> uh, proceeds from the Aqua Fair directly support animal care, educational programming, community outreach, and exhibit design all year long. So join us on Saturday, March 25th for this totally rad event. Tickets are $50 for aquarium members and $55 for non-members. You must be 21 years and over to attend this event. And tickets can be purchased online at glaquarium.org slash aquaaffair. All right. So after I started doing research yesterday, I started to get more and more annoyed with myself that I hadn't done the research further in advance um, and we couldn't record yesterday. Because today is March 14th. And while it was the perfect excuse to wear these super cool pie earrings. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's pie day. I mean, it won't be pie day by the time y'all get it, but I forgot it's pie day. Yep. Yep. 314. No wonder so many people were posting pictures of pie. I was so confused. <laughs> like, why is everyone so into pie today? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, today is March 14th. And tonight I'm going to tell you about the number 13. Ooh. So now I'm off by one day. And then I realized that, oh my God, this is episode 111. I could have just waited two episodes and it could have at least been 113. <laughs> but I didn't. So. Whoopsie. Okay. Whoopsie. Uh, anyway, so I have a couple of sources that I relied heavily on for this research. The first was an article by Professor Emeritus of Sociology, Barry Markovsky from the University of South Carolina, History.com, a fellow named Joel, Joe, Joe Nickel, and various Wikipedia pages. Kayla. Yes. Do you know the definition of a number? (laughs) I guess that is a question I never thought I would be asked in my life. Uh, A number, um, like, let me guess. I feel like I'm going to... a game of balderdash. Um, the definition of a number is a unit used to count something. I mean, ki- kind of part of it. Okay. All right. So according to the Oxford Dictionary, a number is an... I don't know why I can't say this word. I could say it last night and I can't say it today. Uh, so based upon the word arithmetic, arithmetical, 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 I don't know. Right? 
because it's it's arithmetic. Arithmetic. Arithmetical is essentially how it's spelled. <laughs> Arithmetical. Anyway, so it is a, whatever that word is, value expressed by a word, symbol, or figure representing a particular quantity and used in counting. Yes. And making calculations and for showing the order in a series or for identification. Okay. That is what a number is. I was kind of there. Like if we were playing Balderdash, you, I would have well, gotten got like part partial point. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've never played that, so I don't really know how the rules go, but I will take your word for it. Uh, none of which is to say that it could in and of itself as a number have the ability to negatively or positively affect the outcome of, well, anything. It's just a it thing is. we use. It exists. Yep. We do things with it, but in and of itself, it's just there. So why is it that so many folks in Western culture are so unnerved by the number 13? In fact, we don't really have any other number like it. Like, sure, we have, like, lucky number seven. However, people do not, it, like, doesn't affect people's lives in any significant way in the way that the number 13 does. I'm thinking of all the different numbers that mean something, uh-huh. like, that I can think of. Right. There's lucky number seven. Yep. Seven, seven, seven. Uh-huh. Six, six, six. Yep. Four, twenty. Yep. And sixty-nine. Yep. And none of them, you're right, none of them have the negative connotation that 13 does. Or positive. Or like positive, not, yeah. Not to the extent. Yeah. How? What are your feels on the number 13? I love the number 13. It is my favorite number. I have it tattooed on my leg. I feel like I heard you say that if you could have gotten married on a Friday the 13th, you would have. But Halloween was so much better. I know. But, yes, I also, if it had been convenient, I would have also accepted a Friday the 13th marriage. Okay. Then everybody could have dressed up like Jason Voorhees. That would have been great. Ah, that would have been great. But all of my love of 13 Uh doesn't actually have to do with any luck or unluck in my life. You're just a rebel? No, it's it's because there's so many different, like pop culture references that go with 13. Ah. So it's less about the actual numerology and more about the fun movies and and things that I associate with it. 13 reasons why? No. <laughs> I know, that's really sad. It's really sad. Like, that's the one you go to? It was the first one I thought of. <laughs> okay. I don't know. It literally has 13 in the title. <laughs> <laughs> so Professor Mavarsky started his article for uh, USC's The Conversation with the question of... What if? What if he refused to travel on Sundays that fell on the 22nd day of the month? What if he requested that his homeowners association just skip the 22nd floor of his building from 21 right to 23? What if his fear of the number 22 changed the way that he moved through life? And what if more than 40 million people in the United States alone shared the same baseless aversion? Wait, are we saying that that's how many people are scared of the number 13? Yeah. Huh. So folks might think it's a bit weird, you know? Yeah. But also, like, why? Yeah. Okay, so the fear or an extreme superstition regarding the number 13 is known as uh, triskaidekaphobia. 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 That one I knew. 
And triskaidekaphobia is weirdly the reason why so many people in the Western world do things like remove the 13th floor of tall buildings. In fact, according to the Otis Elevator Company, for every building with a 13th floor, there are six without. Huh. I don't even know the statistics as to who just skips the 13th room, especially since, as Mitch Hedberg said, people on the 14th floor, you know know what what floor floor you're really on. (laughs) I was going to say it. I was gonna, and then I was I was waiting for conveniently for you to have like a pause, but I'm glad you included it in there. <laughs> uh, some city planners avoid the number thirteen when numbering streets sequentially, and there are also airports that skip the thirteenth gate. If the number thirteen is unlucky, so should the letter B be, because B looks like a scrunched together thirteen. What's your name, Bob? Get the fuck away. <laughs> another Mitch Hedberg joke I for knew, you. I recognized <laughs> it. I loved it. <laughs> a couple of examples of uh, airports that skip the number 13 are the Denver Airport, Las Vegas, and the main airports in New Mexico, Oklahoma, Mississippi, Louisiana, and the list goes on and on. Wow. The Minneapolis Airport does have a gate 13. Minnesota's like, I ain't afraid of no number. I got triskaidekaphobia. The Duluth Airport does not. Is that just, though, because we don't have enough gates? Yes, because in all fairness, we're just a little guy, and I don't even think we have eight gates. I don't know how many there are. I've really only ever been in It'd be pretty weird if they were like, here's gates one through four and 13. (laughs) I'm going to go work for the airport, and I'm going to make that a thing. (laughs) However, fun fact, although there doesn't appear to be a specific part of the country that is more superstitious of the number 13 than others, the Northeast appears to have slightly... Higher ratio of airports skipping gate 13, but not by any substantial amount. It's just like one or two in the Northeast seem to be 13-less. Huh. Also, airports apparently, specifically in general, tend to be pretty superstitious. According to the Wall Street Journal article from 2013, airports also avoid listing a 13th seat in the aisle, and no one ever schedules a flight 13. You know, I believe that because if you think about it if there is a time to be superstitious it's the time that you're magically flying tons of metal containing human life through the air across the globe like if there's a time to be like yeah I don't want to fuck with that potential for that tragedy yeah don't fuck with that especially after Final Destination came out Per a 2009 article by Joe Nickel, a senior research fellow of the Committee of Skeptical Inquiry, CSI, and investigation investigative files columnist for the Skeptical Inquirer. Nice. Man, me and you. I know. It's so right weird. Here. All the time we come upon things that we've never done before in the same episode. Anyway, so he says, Joe says, quote, As any reputable scientist or mathematician will confirm, luck does not exist. Good fortune is randomly distributed and not dependent on the day. The superstitious, however, will cite a long history of misfortune associated with the number 13. As the story goes, in order to understand 13, one has to understand the history of 12. Okay, okay. (laughs) Why is six afraid of seven? Because seven, eight, nine. The number 12 has traditionally represented completeness. There are 12 months of the year, 12 gods of Olympus, 12 signs of the Zodiac, and the 12 apostles of Jesus, unquote. 
Their uh, foot is 12 inches. There are two perfect sets of 12 hours in a day, 12 days of Christmas, the 12 labors of Hercules. So where 12 is wonderful, beautiful, and whole, 13 is beyond that, and one more step towards evil. Yeah, so don't ever worry about being a third wheel. Worry about being a 13th wheel. Yes, and there are a couple of pretty popular stories where everything is all hunky-dory for a party of 12 until that 13th guest shows up. Or that 13th ghost. That was a good movie. Yeah, it's a great movie. Both, both versions of it, actually. I don't think I've seen the other. I think I just saw the original. You haven't seen the one with Matthew Lillard? Wait, when did that come out? In like 2000... Early 2000s? Yeah. Okay, I saw that one. I didn't see The original that is from like the 60s. Oh, I haven't There's seen a black that. and white version. Girl, we it's, gotta watch It was that. in 3D. What? Yeah, there was a lion ghost. <gasps> okay, obviously we're gonna watch that at a later date. Thank you all for coming with me on this little adventure. <laughs> uh, okay, so sure, Jesus had 12 apostles, but his 13th guest at the Last Supper was none other than Judas who, according to lore, would ultimately betray Jesus. I've brought you mur, murder, <gasps> Judas. Though in reality, we actually don't know the order in which all the disciples sat down, uh, but apparently it's pretty well established that obviously the 13th one was Judas. <laughs> Duh. And in Norse mythology, there is a story about 12 gods having a dinner party in Valhalla. The trickster god Loki, who was not invited, arrived as the 13th guest and arranged for her <laughs> to shoot Balder. Her. Okay. <laughs> Kayla, hold on. Halder. <laughs> like a cat hacking something up. Her. <laughs> okay, so what it looks like is it looks like an H. And then an O with like an umlaut over it, an O with an X over it, and then an R. Yeah, that's a new one. I haven't done <laughs> um, If Loki looks like Tom Hiddleston, he can be the 13th guest anytime. Okay, you don't know what Loki does, though. I didn't get that far. I was too busy trying to figure out how to I spell. I don't care. If he looks like Tom Hiddleston, he's welcome. All right, so the trickster god, Loki who was not invited, arrived as the 13th guest, and he arranged for her to shoot Baldur. And Baldur was the son of the godliest of gods, old Odin. Odin and his wife Freya. Frigga? Um, Freya. Both, actually, it's both. Oh, really? Yes, it is. Uh, and he huh. was much beloved. A lot of people kind of actually weirdly compare him to Christ. Very Christ-like. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, so Loki showed up unannounced, uninvited as the 13th guest, and got Boulder's own blind brother, this her, uh, to shoot him with a mistletoe-dipped arrow, which was his literal only weakness. And that's why the 13th guest is not great, because of Loki. Um, but also, once again, the original legend allegedly doesn't say anything about the specific number of gods who are attending this party, but they decided that obviously Loki was the 13th. My mind is blown by how much I just learned right there. I know. First of all, like just the name, like I didn't know. I just thought it was just Freya. Uh, no, it's both. Frigga, it's F-R-I-G-G-A. Huh. Frigga and then F-R-I-I-A. 
Right. And, but then I didn't know that about Balder. Yeah. And then I didn't, oh, I'm just learning all sorts of stuff. I know. And it's interesting because what we know about Balder from what I read, I don't know that much about Norse mythology. I was really more into the Greek mythology. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I didn't really know that much. But you don't really know that much about Balder. I found several articles that said the most you hear about him, the most like information you get is about his own death, other than the fact that he was beloved. Oh. Yeah. So from these stories, you likely have the origin of the 13th guest curse, which basically says that if you have a group of 13, whoever is the 13th person to sit down, they will die within a year. Which is why dinner plate sets are primarily sold in sixes and twelves because 12 represents completeness. Another result of the 13th guest legend is the idea of Friday the 13th being specifically bad luck. Because the fear of Friday the 13th is known as, do you know how to say this? Because I, okay, let's go. Um, there, it has two names. It's either known as paraskividikatriphobia. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Or frigastrikidikaphobia. Can I, can I, I want to see these spellings. Right there. Now you try. Frigatrisca decaphobia. Okay. Because it's very close to the original. Yep. What's the first one, though? Paraskiva decaphtria. Wait. I know, because they, they had extra things in there. <laughs> Paraskiva decatriophobia. There you go. There you that's go. What I would, that's how I would do it, but holy shit, those are long words. <laughs> so the second one, the friga... Frigatristic, frigatrisca decaphobia. That one is named after the Norse goddess Frigga or Freya. From whom Fridays are named. Oh. And who was also Baldur's mom. Oh. So yeah, the dude that was shot with the mistletoe dipped arrow by the trickster god Loki, a.k.a. the 13th guest. Boom. Friday the 13th. Boom. Also, the Last Supper was held on, I've never heard of this, Maundy Thursday? I've never heard of that either. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I saw it on a website all about Jesus. Um, <laughs> it, apparently, it was Maundy 30, which it says uh, M-A-U-N-D-Y. So the Last Supper was on a Thursday. Judas was the 13th guest. Jesus died the next day on a Friday. Boom. 13 plus Friday equals bad. Okay. Okay. Which, whether or not people actually know that this is one of the reasons why folks believe that bad things happen on Friday the 13th, I don't know. However, that is much credited to the origin story of why Friday the 13th is supposed to be bad luck. And yes, of course, bad things happen on Friday the 13th, but no more statistically than any other day. Especially if you live in the U.S. where bad things just seem to happen here every day. (laughs) Kara's death save us. That marriage proposal still holds up, y'all. For real. Like, I know that y'all, like, I, I know that y'all have other families. I'm just saying. We we worked out this really beautiful way that Kayla and both of our husbands can be a part of the Canadian family. <laughs> Prophecy <laughs> Girls. Uh, but for funsies, I'm actually going to tell you about some of the bad things that have happened on Friday the 13th. But I'm just in. a few. Okay. I'm in. Okay. So, first of all, in 1980, a woman named Pamela Voorhees killed a bunch of kids at a summer camp. 
You fucking liar. <laughs> fuck. I was like, Voorhees. Is this based in truth? No, you're just fucking. <laughs> fuck off. I love you. Fuck uh, off. I, I couldn't even get through that without laughing. Uh, anyway, okay, so for real. On Friday, September 13th, 1996, Tupac Shakur died after succumbing to his injuries six days after having been shot four times on September 7th. Oh. On Friday, the 13th of September in 1940, the German forces during World War II bombed Buckingham Palace. The bomb hit both the palace as well as its chapel. Katie Genovese, a Queens resident, was brutally attacked and murdered on Friday, March 13th, 1964. And this crime in particular is famous because reportedly 38 people heard the attack and none of them called the police. And it's actually where we get the term the bystander effect. Yes. And that I I didn't know about the date. Mm -hmm. But isn't that part of the basis of where we as um, femme presenting people learned to yell fire fire. you don't yell you don't yell rape you don't yell i'm being attacked you yell fire you yell fire yes because people are more likely to respond to fire than a woman being murdered Mm. it really sucks also because she was being murdered and attacked and then someone did something and scared them away and then she laid dying in her doorway and then he came back oh my god it's an infuriating story if I ever have that true crime podcast, I'm going to tell you all about it. Uh, the stock market experienced a mini crash in uh, 1989 on Friday, October 13th, where a lot of people lost a lot of money. A lot of people said it was a bad day. Flight 571 was heading towards Chile when it crash landed in the Andes on Friday, October 13th, 1972. And then in the following days, the survivors reduced to hiding in the fuselage of the plane and resorting to cannibalism to survive. I have seen that movie. Uh Uh-huh. And although there is obviously a long list of other instances of bad things that happened on Friday the 13th, the last one that I will give you tonight is Friday, March 13th, 2020 which could be considered the first official day of the pandemic in the U.S. when a national emergency was declared by who who shall not be named. So yes, bad things have happened on Friday the 13th, but this fear or really intense superstition of Friday the 13th, uh, which I will not attempt to butcher again, isn't just an... Triscodecophobia. Yeah, it isn't just a, oh, be careful, because it's Friday the 13th. Western culture is so troubled by the bad luck that could befall you on a Friday the 13th that folks will refuse to travel, get married, or hold other events, or even in the most severe cases, refuse to go to work. And that this refusal to just keep on living, despite the fact that it's Friday the 13th, results in financial losses in excess of $800 million annually. Wow. I may not have Friga Triscadecophobia. But now I'm just angry about the start of the pandemic. <laughs> like bringing back flashbacks of horrible. No one knew what was happening. Are we all going to die? Or why can't I just go to the grocery store? I just want to go to the grocery store. I'm out of toilet paper. <laughs> the only one left is lavender scented. The only one left is one ply lavender scented, like made from tree bark. Those were, those were tough days, man. Tough for the booty. (laughs) For real, though. (laughs) Uh, But not everyone fears 
the number 13. You, for instance. Yes. All right. So one particular fella, he, he made it a whole vibe. Okay, so in 1882, a New Yorker and a Civil War veteran by the name of Captain William Fowler. No, I did not look up what side he went on. Hopefully the North because he's a New Yorker. So Captain William Fowler had survived 13 battles, and he sought to remove the stigma surrounding the number 13 by founding an exclusive society called the 13 Club. The group dined regularly on the 13th day of the month in room 13 of the Knickerbocker Cottage, a popular watering hole that Fowler owned from 1863 to 1883. And during each gathering, money was raised for local charities and associations. Cool. Before sitting down to a 13-course meal, members would pass beneath a ladder and a banner reading, hmm, uh, Moratori T. Salamus, which is Latin for those of us who are about to die salute you. Cool. Four former U.S. presidents, uh, Chester A. Arthur, Grover Cleveland, Benjamin Harrison, and Theodore Roosevelt were actually part of the 13 Club at one time or another. I don't remember much about Grover Cleveland, but I had to write two reports on him in school. And uh, uh, he had a killer mustache. Yes. And he was the only president to serve two terms, not consecutively. Yes, I think those are the only two things that I knew about him as well. (laughs) I've never heard of Benjamin Harrison or Chester A. Arthur. Me either. Sorry, guys. Apparently, you were not memorable. Should have had a killer mustache. Just saying. So, not wanting to miss the latest social trend, a London version of the club started up in 1890. The London 13 Club was established by William H. Blanche, a writer and historian. And according to the British Newspaper Archive, at the London 13 Club, they really ran a vibe. Caught a those, vibe. Those are my words, by the way. I said it like it was a quote. Baby, and it wasn't. are you coming for the ride? So at each meeting, they did the ladder thing. They opened umbrellas and doors, which you're not supposed to do. But also at each event, the tables were decorated with mirrors for the guests to break, small coffins, and peacock feathers, which were known to be unlucky because they were marked with the evil eye. Guests were also encouraged to spill salt, but never allowed to throw it over their left soldier. Shoulder. <laughs> like a continental soldier. Um, and fun fact, in 1894, at one dinner at the Holborn restaurant in the 13th room, obviously, two diners were unfortunately absent. So to ensure that they did not break the most important of the rules, that there has to be 13 dinner guests, they actually... Um, had two waiters that were recruited to dine with the members so that the table would not be a table of 11, but the correct number of table of 13. Nice. Those waiters really lucked out because you know it's got to be some fucking fancy food. Due to how the calendar is set up, what is it, the Gregorian calendar or whatever, there are anywhere between one and three Friday the 13th each year. In 2023, we have two. One already happened on January 13th, Mm -hmm. which kind of just came and went. I didn't even realize it until after the fact. The second one is happening in the spookiest month of the year. Yes, it is. October. October 13th. And lastly, to top off my story of the number 13, I have a list of 13 things that you should avoid doing on Friday the 13th. Let's hear it. And then I'm going to do all of them and 
in October. The first one I'm definitely doing. Okay, so this one is according to USA Today, and it says uh, avoid black cats. You can't. You, you literally can't. I know. It said don't be attempted to cuddle with a cute black cat. Don't let them cross your path. Always cuddle with a cute black cat if that cat wants to cuddle with you. I'm saying. Uh, avoid new shoes. An uncommon superstition is that if you put shoes on a table on Friday the 13th, you could risk a family member's death. Uh, uh, uh. Actually, apparently that's just a regular superstition. So don't put your shoes on a table. It could risk someone's death, but especially don't do it on Friday the 13th. I mean, just don't put your shoes on the table. Right? Gross. Yeah. I mean, I could see new shoes. Yeah, I suppose, but still. Still. Uh, you should avoid spiders. You should avoid opening an umbrella in, in inside, which is pretty standard. Uh, birds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it says, keep your doors closed and quickly dart in and out of whatever new room you enter. Your new Friday the 13th mission is to avoid birds flying into your home. Birds flying indoors can mean death, according to superstition. What about our listeners that might be bird owners? Like, it's like you with the cat. You just yeah. can't avoid, avoid it. the birds. Um, avoid cracks. You know, step on a crack, break your mother's back, even if you're superstitious and you love your mom. Just don't jump on those cracks on Friday the 13th. I will keep that in mind. Ladders. Don't walk under any ladders. Friday the 13th or any other day. Don't walk under any ladders just because it's like not, it's, it's like a safety hazard. It has nothing to do with luck. Like, it is a safe. Yeah, like, that's probably you could how knock it came over. A, you could knock over a ladder with a person on it. Secure ladders for people. Don't walk under them. If possible, have a buddy hold the ladder to make sure it stays steady. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You be the secure ladder, not the walk yeah, under the ladder. Yeah, exactly. Um, on Friday the thirteenth, just straight up avoid the number thirteen. <laughs> no. Many hospitals don't even have a room number 13. It's a good idea to avoid the number 13 and to stay away from buildings with the 13th floor and never sit in seat number 13 at a dinner table. And avoid bobs. You're also supposed to avoid tables. What? As bizarre as tables may seem, there are a lot of superstitions that revolve around tables. So it might be better to just stay away from them altogether today. If you have to sit at a table, avoid putting your shoes on the table, singing at the table, sleeping on a table, or placing keys on the table because the superstitious believe that all those actions can cause bad luck. So I literally put my keys on the table all of the Every time. Every day. Be- that's, that's my dining room, like, entrance. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, again, shoes on the table, gross. Uh, but then what was what were the other two? Singing at the table. Oh yeah, that I do and that. And sleeping on the table. Yeah, I've do. I have done both of those multiple times. <laughs> also, number ten, avoid salt. If you're eating dinner, just lay off the salt, reduce your sodium intake, and remain free of bad luck. Spilling the salt is considered very unlucky, but it's easy to fix. Just take a pinch of that salt and throw it over your left shoulder. Listen to me. You can pry my salt out of my cold, dead, high. Like blood pressure hands, okay? <laughs> I love salt. Number 11, avoid mirrors. Because breaking mirrors is known to cause seven years bad luck, you do it on Friday the 13th, it can only be worse. 
Uh, so instead of using a hand mirror, they said if you have to use a mirror, use one that is attached to a wall. Okay, I could see that one. Number 12, cemeteries. There are a lot of superstitions about cemeteries. The most common one is to walk on a grave or to breathe while passing a cemetery. It can be bad luck because it's rude to breathe when other people can't. Um, I drive by a cemetery every day. I work on Fridays. And that would be a lot of breath holding for that entire... It's a big cemetery. It's a very big cemetery. You live <laughs> by a very big cemetery. And last but not least, number 13... To avoid on Friday the 13th, just avoid the day itself. No. Friday the 13th is known as being a very unlucky day, and it might be a better idea to just stay in bed all day and avoid everything altogether as a way to avoid all bad luck. How about I go out and party on Friday the 13th? Like a rock star. Party like a rock star. Um, yeah, so that is the number 13. Numerology is interesting. Actually, in numerology, 13 isn't bad. But that's not what I was talking about. So No, I just like, like I guess I didn't realize, not numerology, uh, the numerology isn't the right word for it then. Yep, because in numerology, uh, 13 can mean a bunch of different things. Numerology is divination so through numbers, right? Yeah. Okay, so yeah, so I was, but basically just the the idea behind certain numbers meaning certain things is interesting. Yes, because again, I had mentioned it several times, especially at the beginning, that 13, that, you know, dislike of 13 is really a Western culture thing. Uh, a lot of Asian countries apparently don't like the number four. Yes, which I think we covered a little bit in the elevator game yeah. episode, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. it's it's weird. It's definitely weird. Mm-hmm. Um, I always look for if there's a 13th floor in a hotel, um, like especially on the elevator. Like there's all that interesting stuff but I guess I don't even think about it that much like I said it's mostly just the stuff where I'm like I really like the Friday the 13th movies like that's where I get my love from I um I know that the Allworth building in downtown Duluth does not have a floor 13 it's one of the first things that I noticed but a lot of buildings in Duluth don't go up to 13 floors. We don't have a lot of tall buildings here. No, so I don't really know. I wonder if, like, the Maurice's building. Auntie Becky, how many buildings in Chicago have a 13th floor that you've been in? I want to know. Let us know. So on a skeptic scale of para to normal, para being five, normal being one, I am going to give unlucky 13 a two. Only because I... I think that with some of the things I can, like I do believe, mm-hmm. it would be completely ridiculous of me to say that there's no way a number has an effect on anything. Right. Like the amount of things that I do believe that would be counted as equally ridiculous. Like it, there's there's no way for me to completely rule it out. Without I don't, being a total hypocrite. <laughs> exactly. Yep. So. I don't think the number is unlucky, but uh, for some people, maybe it is. I'm going to give it a three. And the reason why I'm going to give it a three is because even if the number in and of itself is not unlucky because it is a number. Yeah. I think that people's belief that it's unlucky can cause a manifestation of bad luck. Legit. Totally legit. So that's why I'm going to give it a three. Yep. Okay. Okay. We want to congratulate Will Aikens. For winning Adam's book. Yeah. That book is on its way to you, my dear. Aw. 
I have mailed it. Nice. Um, and, so on top of things. And thank you again to Adam Herman for letting us do a book giveaway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he could have made money off that book instead. He just let us give it away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, if you uh, have not had a chance, I started reading it. It's great. I have not yet, but I did buy it. I am highlighting passages that I want to do dramatic readings of eventually <gasps> yes. on our TikTok. Uh, but if you uh, are interested in a comedy supernatural-ish, I don't know how to classify this book, but it's great. You're interested in it? You can do so by uh, you can order it on zenithbookstore.com, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or if you happen to live in the Twin Ports, you can just go to Zenith. It's gorgeous in there. It's so nice. So nice. You can also, if you're a Barnes and Noble member, you can get it on Barnes and Noble too. Awesome. Yep. Awesome. Actually, he said that most local bookstores will be able to get it if they don't currently stock it. They should be able to order it for you, no matter where you are. And when you can, you should buy local. Yes, exactly. Like if Barnes and Noble is the only thing you've got, there's that. But go for local. <laughs> uh, well, if you have a story you would like to submit, a paranormal experience of any kind, you can do so by emailing us directly, leftofskeptic at gmail.com. You can also visit our website, www.leftofskeptic.com, and click the listener stories tab at the top of the page. While you're there, you could enjoy the very slight remakes I did, where I was very proud of myself, even though I was, this was just Squarespace, man. It's not, it doesn't take that much talent, but I was like, ooh, <laughs> purple, ooh, different font. I felt so proud of myself. <laughs> um, Wait, you changed the font? I changed the font. I don't know how I feel about that, but You'll okay, like I'll, look it it. I'll look at it. I'll look at it. I'll look at it. I haven't, obviously. <laughs> Brittany, so Brittany set up this whole thing, and... I just went in there and I was like, bloop, bloop, bloop. That's true. I, I started it. You started I it. designed it. Which and is then why I was it's like, so funny to me and that. And I'm off. <laughs> I'm which no is why longer. it's so funny to me that it became my thing. And I was like, okay. I guess I'll learn how to do it. That's, <laughs> that's what happened at work too. I just, <laughs> I was like, I want a new system. I want a new website. The current website's ugly. And my boss is like, here you go. Create a website, and I everything I is on that website I made. So, and that's why I don't want to do the podcasts. You can also click the link tree in our bio. You can choose to remain anonymous or include your name, whichever you'd prefer. We just ask that you please include your pronouns. Yes, please. We love normalizing pronouns. I don't know why I said that so creepy. Anyway, <laughs> you can also follow us on social media. Kayla's been killing it with the TikToks and social media in general. You can find her amazing social media posts on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. Just kidding. You can only really find them on Instagram and TikTok. Uh, Sometimes I post on Twitter at Left of Skeptic (laughs) (laughs) or on Facebook at Left of Skeptic Podcast. Well, I would like to point out, Brittany. Yeah. That we are getting really tangenty with our episodes lately, but I am about it. I think these have been great. I'm about it. Oh my God. We're in the same room. High five. High five. Fuck we've, yeah. We've done a lot of screen high fives in our podcast <laughs> career, but not many in person. We want to thank you all for joining us uh, this spooky Wednesday. We love and appreciate you. We indeed appreciate you very much. Happy spooky Wednesday. Okay. okay. Bye. Bye. Left of Skeptic podcast is written and hosted by Kayla Moria and Brittany Lind. This week's episode is edited by me, 
Brittany Lind. The Love of Skeptic Music is by Dave Melling and Emily Havoc. And our artwork is by Al LeBlanc. Okay, bye!